Welcome to the Carrying Onions Podcast. This is Bobby Shaw, and on today's episode, my co-host and I, Miles Gift, speak with Pat Phelan from Leap Hospitality. Leap is an industry-leading support center for all hospitality businesses. They were founded in 2006 with an initial focus on restaurants and bars, but today they offer a wide range of services to hotels, casinos, retail stores, offices, and education and healthcare facilities. They're entrepreneurs, they're consultants, they're advisors, they know what it takes to thrive in the most competitive industries and just are incredibly accessible professionals. We really enjoyed this conversation with Pat as he talked about how he created Leap Hospitality in 2006, how he worked his way through the recession of 2007 and 8, how he then uh, took the business, which was primarily focused on FF&E, to the recruiting side and how that has been a huge part of the business model for Leap over the last five or so years. So it was an incredible conversation. Pat talks a lot about culture, talks a lot about relationships. So, of course, that is right up our alley here on the Cutting Unions podcast. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Pat. Just a heads up, next week we're also going to talk to Chris Wonder from Leap Hospitality. Chris runs the recruiting side of the business with Pat, and that'll be another fun conversation. So we love to focus on the hospitality industry and all the leaders in there. As you know, on the podcast, we've talked to many different leaders throughout marketing, operations, and finance, but it's great to talk to an organization who supports the restaurant and hospitality industry. So without further delay, here is the episode with Pat Phelan from Leap Hospitality. We'll see you on the other side. Awesome. Well, it's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll give you a, a brief snapshot of how I got involved in this, right? So um, I was in corporate America for years, um, actually working at, at Sprint PCS at the time, um, the growth of the cell phone business. Left there, uh, I, I was struggling personally of what role value did I add to the company? Um, I worked in a finance capacity for the most part there. Left, worked for a, a small manufacturer of wheelchair lifts and home elevators in Grandview, Missouri. Oh, wow. I was the, the head of business development um, and, and kind of strategic planning and learned a heck of a lot at a very young age. Um, but um, just again, I'm, I'm like, just working for somebody else, it just didn't do it for me. And it's kind of interesting as you go back now and, and you take these personality profiles, you really understand there's a reason behind that because I had a certain chemical makeup that I didn't realize I had um, and the desire to do something my own. I mean, I would sit at home by myself um, with, with young kids, looking at business plans, looking at existing businesses. I kind of knew I didn't want to start something on my own, but didn't know what, it wanted, what I wanted to do. And so I'd stumble across businesses and analyze and my wife's like, what are you doing? Like one in the morning, I'm going through spreadsheets and balance sheets, and income statements and trying to figure out this is a viable business. And um, I stumbled upon one um, in Lenexa, Kansas. It was called Fast Food Equipment Systems. And what they did at the time, they distributed ice machines and margarita machines um, to the restaurant industry in the Midwest. Um, they also were a food equipment uh, manufacturers rep. So they supported the food equipment dealer network in the five state territory. 
And so it was more of a sales oriented, distributive oriented model. And I thought, well, I, I could do that. I could grow it. I'm a BD guy. Um, I knew nothing about the restaurant industry at all at that time, zero. Um, it just went, got an SBA loan and went all in on it, um, which was scary as hell. Uh, two young girls, age four and two, had the SBA loan right in 2006 is when I bought it. And we were a small little company. It's like a $1.5 million company. Um, but still buying it and putting your kind of your nuts on the line saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm changing my whole career and course. And, and a lot of it, everybody asked me why I did it. Most of it had to do with the desire to have personal freedom. Not so much about making a ton of money and having this huge company that I want to begin. It really came down to, I wanted to do what I want to do every single day. And I wanted that freedom and wake up and do what I what I want to do, not what someone else wanted me to do. And that was really the purpose behind it. Um, and just have a, a decent income that I could give my kids what they needed and wanted through life. And it, it, it really, that's why I did what I did. Well, unfortunately, in 2008 came, right? And we had this big economic financial crisis in the United States. And you talk about having your back against the wall at that time. Um, literally, we went from a little $1.5 million company to about half a million within a, 18 months of me buying this company. So the value is down the tank. Um, our biggest client was Applebee's. Uh, we sold all their margarita machines to all the bars uh, in, across all the Applebee's corporate they moved their supply chain to California at the time. Um, so they started utilizing a distributor out there, not, not us. So all this happened within about four months. And you talk about high anxiety and realizing what the heck am I going to do? Literally making nothing. I mean, I went from a really good job to um, making nothing and having to pay off an SBA loan out and taking, out, taking savings out. Um, getting a second mortgage to make sure I kept this thing afloat, right? And my wife looked at me and said, you got to figure this out, man. I mean, <laughs> and living off of my wife's income, basically, while we're trying to figure out this, it was a, it was a tough time. Um, but just like any entrepreneur in any business, um, what that did was um, kind of pushed me to pivot, right? And if you look at a lot of entrepreneur stories, a lot of them have this, the same kind of, you hit this boiling point and a big thing that I've got to take control of this thing and I got to pivot. So I did what anybody else would do. This is a little pre-internet that that tells you, I mean, what, 13 years ago, and there really weren't websites like they were today that you could research. So literally guys, I got the phone book out, the yellow pages, and I start calling people that were in the restaurant industry. And I had no idea what I'm selling them. I just wanted to make personal connections. Um, and you go back to kind of sales training, everything else, and didn't really realize how important it was just to develop relationships, to know what's going on in the industry. Where could I add value? What could I do? And at the time they were building this big entertainment district, downtown Kansas City called the Power and Light District. It was under construction. And I made a cold call to the developer of the Cordish company, literally. Um, and I asked who was in charge of the, the development. They said, well, we've, we've got a construction manager there. Why, why don't you get, we'll get you in touch with him. I go, okay. So I leave a voicemail with them two weeks later. And I'll, I still remember it. It was literally the day before my birthday. Um, he calls me back two weeks later and a uh, real talkative guy asked what I did. I fumbled through something and he said, could you, uh, what about furniture? You guys involved in furniture? I said, yeah, we can do furniture. And I had no idea. Well, I mean, I, 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 I never, 
for <laughs> my life. So he had said, well, the big guys are going to be in town in a couple of days. Can you meet them downtown? Um, we're a big developer, but, but we're small and we're, we're project oriented. So we don't have a lot of staff to execute this stuff and we need somebody to execute the furniture piece. So I go, sure. So literally that night I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? So this is when Kinko's was still really in existence. So I created brochures and publisher, Microsoft publisher and did some research about what we did and, and made it up on the fly, went and got some trifolds printed and um, showed up and did a little dog and pony presentation uh, to um, the owners of the quarters company and one of their key ops guys and uh, got some feedback a couple of days later said, I really like you, Pat, uh, but you're, you're too polished. They're looking for a guy that can kind of kick around <laughs> and <laughs> kind of tell them what to do, when to do it. I said, no, no, um, I can yeah if i could make money at it i could be that guy so we got over that hump and and at the time they were opening up two concepts within the district the first two were mcfadden's and and it, it was vivino's and and now which is pizza bar and they just said here's our floor plans here's our budget it has to be within that and so i just took it we we lost money on both both jobs but i was trying to look at the big picture yeah. and again trying to find a niche that I felt like we could serve. I, I really understood through the process of the first two years from what we do, the food equipment dealer really controls the back of the house equipment piece um, through buying groups and different things. Um, and to break that seal and, and create a new company within that was very, very difficult. There's been a lot of consolidation on that side of the business. But the one aspect that they've never done real well with is furniture and casework and millwork and moose and different things. So um, as luck would have it, I found that niche and um, that, that catapulted our company and changed it while I, I was maintaining the existing company that I bought. It was on life support and trying to build something on the side at the same time. And that becomes important as we talk about the recruiting and how I pivoted and added that because as you're working and develop a company to, to work on an existing business while you're growing another one can be really, really difficult, but I learned how to do that through this process. And um, the rest is history with them. I mean, they, they, we, you know, again, it's relationships, it's built on trust. We have, we have no contracts. Um, we, I feel like I'm a part of their company and they know that they can trust me. We follow through, we do what we say we're going to do. Um, so since then, with, with the Cordish Company specifically, we've supported them through their growth from Ballpark Village to um, Texas Live to several different casinos to 4th Street Live to um, Philly Live. Now we're doing an expansion of a concept with them called Sports and Social that has some in-game betting, um, which is kind of exciting. Um, they're actually going outside of their developments and looking at... Um, leasing space, which is kind of unique for them because they're a developer as well. But what, what they did for me on the furniture side way back when is taught me the business model and I started figuring out how to, to make money at it and support them really as a, as a project manager and as a supply chain kind of uh, subject matter expert when it comes to, to this type of stuff. Um, and so through that process, I said, well, I've got to control some things too here because I can't just be a middleman. So right. um, I helped put a gentleman in business and became a small partner in a booth manufacturing company and a, a custom table manufacturer um, headquartered here in Kansas City. Uh, we occupy probably about 50, 60% of his business. 
Um, so we truly are partners in this thing and, and have grown together. Um, and we work through schedules. And, and so I've got some control of that uh, with him as a partner versus just sending POs over and hoping that it all works out. Um, and so since I growth, I mean, some of the concepts that we now have, have started to work with, uh, one real large one is First Watch Restaurant Group. Um, again, a cold call. Um, people are kind of amazed um, that, that we just picked up the phone. They were growing in the fact that they were looking at, at reconfiguring their, their um, restaurant design and how that may impact their sales. And they happened to be uh, remodeling one here in Kansas City. Wow. Said, Why don't you call our designer in Phoenix? Uh, we made a cold call to, to, to her and she said, I'm really glad you called because we designed this whole new look. We have no idea how we're going to execute it. Um, and so we worked with them and executed that first uh, location um, on College and Metcalf, I believe is where it's at, um, somewhere in that vicinity. Which is and one of their legacy stores. That store has been there for 30 years. I mean, it's been there forever. Yeah, it has. Um, exactly. It was like one of the first ones ever, it right? Was. The, it was. Yeah. Um, that's amazing that you did that. Uh, and, and it's so fun. It's such a small world. As you said this, I think I, I think I know who you're talking about. And I can edit this part out if you don't want me to talk about it. But uh, so I think you're working with Elite Booth. Yep. Are you working with Matt? Uh, yep. With yep. Matt over there. Uh huh. So small world. So we're opening another restaurant for Unforked, our new yep. stores in Westwood, Kansas. And actually, Matt, and you probably had something to do with this, Pat. Matt actually was able to. We had a. We were using a couple other companies or trying to use a couple other companies here in Kansas City that Jim has done business with before, Jim Sheridan. And uh, yep. ended up, we got the name of Matt at Elite and he he was able to get our store into production. So he's building our booths That's for awesome. that store in Unforked. And, um, you know, super great guy. We actually, I got to visit the facility uh, right before Christmas uh, mm -hmm. over there that he's got. And, you know, he was kind of telling us about how he's built another uh you know ten thousand square foot yep yep just right down the road so such a small world in this business but great guy great team you know and i had a chance to walk the whole facility and really see what he was doing but what kind of triggered it for me is he mentioned first watch as well uh yeah. and uh yeah so super small world yeah yeah and so, and so having that bond and that that partnership with him has been critical for our growth right. um and what we we end up doing because most concepts are growing um, and we're starting to work some really big concepts right now because our name brand has gotten out there and we execute and we follow through. Um, but um, we do a lot of consolidation then because we, we don't make bar stools, we don't make chairs, we don't make table bases, but all that's kind of part of the package. Right. Um, so we'll bring that in and then consolidate it with the booths and tables that we're making. So it comes on one truck. Um, at the end of the project or the construction project. But there's a lot that goes into that that a lot of people don't realize just from a support perspective. And you kind of uh, broached on it in your email um, yesterday to me of the things that have changed and evolved that, that have actually worked to our benefit since COVID. Um, one reduction of staff of companies, a lot of people don't have the staff to execute like they used to. So they're relying more on third-party people like us to help support them through their growth. Um, there's a lot of supply chain issues, um, going on out there, whether it be fabrics or foam or wood or metal, trying to get your hands on this. Um, so I have to really consult with, with some of these chains that we're talking to 
and a lot of them want to order on a store by store basis. Well, you know, I've got to zoom them out and say, well, what are your plans for this year? Well, we think we're going to do 12 to 15 locations. Everybody tells you that, right? And, right. and a lot right. it's based on what they sell and 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 what sure. they're able to pull. And they say, well, we really do need to plan a little bit um, or you're going to have to pivot on your design quite a bit because I can't guarantee some of the stuff's going to be available. And we're probably going to need to be released way sooner than we used to. We used to run on about eight to nine week lead times from the time that they release us to the time that, that we deliver it. Now we're looking at 12 to 15 weeks. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with our schedules getting fuller, but also the integration, making sure that we have the product on hand um, and getting our hands on it. But, but also, hey, let, let's get at least five or six doors going now. And, and sometimes we'll, we'll carry that cost for them just as a good partner and making sure, you know, that, that they have some commitment, like a, a blanket PO to us to, to execute it. But um, you've got to really think strategically way more. We, we've talked to a few people that, that have some pretty aggressive growth um, that they think that they can still do it the old way. And um, I've said, well, good luck. I hope that, that you can, we'll be here when, when, you fail because I'm going to just tell you what I go through behind the scenes that a lot of our clients don't understand what we're sweating and making sure this stuff happens. It, it just doesn't happen by itself. Um, it, it, you just can't wave a, a magic wand and all of a sudden, poof, this stuff shows up. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and, and also just the consulting of, you know, people get confused on, it's weird. People get confused on heights of things. Um, there's a lot of field measurement that goes on, especially with custom deuce and columns and windows and, yeah. and all these things that we take a look at that we know. And, and heck, a lot of it's because I've made all the same mistakes, right? So sure. I can take a lot of that knowledge and, and, and curve some of the, the, the hiccups. But um, we, we've just seen a lot of growth in the past two years because they don't have the staff to execute it and they need experts in this industry to, to help support them to grow. Hey, we're paying Matt at Elite Booth to come out to field measure. Like, you know, he told us there's just a little bit of margin of error, like with these booths, because we're doing some custom wedges and, and you know, with the yep. booths and, and it's just, I'm not an expert in that, right? So, I mean, I'm willing to pay someone to come out and do that. And, and, and I think that's, that's. And important. take responsibility for it too, right? So you're transferring that liability and now if it's screwed up, it's, it's our fault. Versus, right. versus yours and, and we're a type of company that if it's our fault we eat it um sure. we do make mistakes and we're not perfect right but but um i do kind of find it interesting some of the, the i always tell people in business and growing business some of our best relationships have been built on some conflict too and some issues and if you can work through those issues together, it kind of creates even a tighter relationship going forward. So sometimes I like when things get screwed up a bit, and right. especially if you have a good client that understands that that mistakes happen. It's just how do we overcome those mistakes quickly and work through them? Um, it makes for a tight relationship going forward. So, um, you know, I, I think we've grown on that side. Just um, and and we'll talk a little bit about the recruiting side, how we pivoted in, in that business, but. Most of it had to be understanding big picture of what our client's trying to achieve, support them the best we can, add value, which is a big piece of our, our one of our core values as a company. We need to make sure we add value. We're just not order takers. Um, we'll give opinions. Um, we're the VE guys in a lot of these things. So 
Um, there are a lot of high-end designers that probably don't like partnering with us because they'll put together a big design and it may cost 40% more than what it really needs to cost. Um, and we all know restaurants, right? It's all on return on capital. And if we can bring that overall capital cost down um, for the franchisee or the franchisor, um, the return on capital um, happens a lot quicker. Um, and we're a small piece of the construction, but shoot, you know, a, a typical 5,000 square foot restaurant with, with a decent booth package could be 75, 80,000 bucks um, all in. And the designers designed it with, with some um, materials and product that probably isn't going to last. It's not going to be, it looks pretty freaking cool, right? but it's not, it's not real. Yeah, right. or like wood pops outside or just certain things like I, i've been on this path we can try it. it's not going to work um and, and the package is is priced out at 150 175k we we've worked really well with not only is our pricing pretty fantastic but just pivoting a little bit and tweaking the design changing the fabrics the vinyls to to some relationships we have, we can bring that thing down sometimes by half, um, depending on the, the layout and the design itself. So uh, we try to partner and add value that way. And then also work with the construction team and making sure to, to your point, Bobby, that it's right when it comes on site. And when we have issues, we're working through those issues with them. Um, and then really try to, especially concepts that are looking to grow, and we have a few clients that are all over the place and they keep changing things on every single store. It's okay, depending on where you're at and the maturity of your concept, um, I get that for like a year to 18 months because you're evolving and changing, you're looking at consumer behavior, adapting, but at some point as you grow, you've got to stick with the design for a little while. Otherwise it's gonna cost you money and it, it, it causes us a lot of aggravation because we're our guys um, on the custom furniture we're making, there's no repetition going. So think about every story you're starting new and different, it's hard. Um, you know, Henry Ford just wanted to make what a black model T and he could do that really, really well, right? But when you start having all these different options changing, it, it makes it a lot more complex. And um, so try, trying to focus our clients and, and partner with them that way is it's just been not only fun but but it's tightened the relationship and and we we started really in the last year of turned down more business because it's just not a good fit right um we really got to understand their mentality what are they trying to achieve can we add value um and it's all about price if it's all about price we're probably not a good fit you yeah. know it's just i'm not going to go down that path right you know, you said something earlier um, that I found interesting because we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about um, in, a, in our in a, on our side of it, the operations side. How are we looking at our business different? How are we thinking about it different? And, you, you know, you just you talked about we've talked about technology and how we're going to have to adapt there and the different things that we're going to bring in. And another piece of that you touched on is just is the mindset of how we order some things like, you know, like furniture. and, and you can't just pace and sequence like you used to. You, you, if you, you got to look at your whole year or maybe the next 18 months and, and to get the same stuff, maybe you got to buy it all at once and, and change and adapt. What, what have you seen uh, maybe from a resistance side as you've talked to people and, and kind of walked them through that process? What kind of resistance have you seen from maybe, maybe, maybe more of a closed mindset? 
Yeah, a lot. Um, and it's hard for them to, to make those commitments because, you know, what COVID has taught us is we don't know what's going to happen three months from now, right? Um, we could get another curveball and something else. So it's a really good po point, Miles. And, and um, especially, it seems like a lot of it has come on our side. It's the exterior furniture where a lot of that's coming from overseas. And um, the availability is... is um, not there like it used to be and as which is kind of ironic because people now have moved to more exterior spaces especially yeah. in dining right and the importance of having that so the demand has gone way up the supply has gone way down so you combine those two and holy cow it's scarce right um so we have they've realized they need to make bigger commitments like like right now if you're talking about expanding your your outdoor space in spring it's probably too late to do that at that point right now. Um, and so you, you've got to really talk about that in really probably October, November um, at this point. And for what I, what I do know about restaurateurs, and you guys will laugh at this because I think you, you probably agree, a lot of them have ADD and trying to get them focused on, on six months from now, when, when we're, just, we're just trying to put out fires today, right? Like, oh, yeah. God, get my head around six months from now that that's probably the biggest challenge in getting people focused <laughs> think six months from now right well a lot of the restaurant business I, I joke and say you know it's like it's like marbles on a table and you're trying to keep all the marbles up so you're going now you're on this side of the table and then, oh, now you're over here and you've got all these things going on yeah to get them to stop and and think strategically and long term sometimes because especially today with what's going on you're overwhelmed with are people showing up and, and, you know, dealing with suppliers, just like your food supplier, they're dealing with things like I got a PO on French fries. The French fries never showed up, you know? And so now you have to have plan B, plan C, plan D all in line just for French fries. And, yeah. and you, you know, you've got, a, a, you know, a thousand SKUs you deal with, you know? And so it's, man, it's, it, it's a crazy world. And you hope that that maybe all of your, you know, if your staff shows up for that day, that's a good day, right? Oh, <laughs> that's kind of it's like, man, that's a solid day. Everybody showed up. Look out. You could just feel a stress leave when, when, you know, all six people are there. It's like, <laughs> you know, when I think about value add, Pat, and I think about Leap, you know, I think about like for me and Miles both, we work, you know, with smaller restaurant companies. You know, these aren't, these aren't huge companies. And, you know, the fact that you're able to step in and add value to a larger organization like a, you know, First Watch or, or able to support smaller organizations like ours where we need that partner, right? We need someone to come alongside us and say, look, we can do this. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's what we can provide. Here's how we can add value and we'll help you, right? That's, that's really important because I know like, like in my case with Unforked, you know, and I work with Jim Sheridan, who's one of those founders and he's an amazing amazing guy and i tell him all the time you have more ideas than i can possibly keep up with uh but but we need people to be able to come alongside us that are experts that can help us with that because we don't have time to navigate that we don't have time to figure out ffne like we you know work with an architect here locally in kansas city that 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 you know creates a design and then we want to turn that over right we don't want to keep we don't want to keep the control. So, so I think as I look at your, at your company and the way you've been able to scale that, but been able to be both, right. You've been able to be that, be that partner for those higher volume, much larger, you know, kind of companies to the smaller companies. I think that's huge. 
that's an interesting point because I always tell people our niche is is what you just mentioned. It's the the growing regional to um, well local regional or national that needs the support. And um, you take Unforked for example. You're you're you know you're in some expansion mode, right? And and at some point you never know when some of these will take off and you get financing but you can't afford to bring a supply chain person into your organization. You need that third party exactly. and you can use them project by project. And what you got to realize, it may cost us a little bit more, but I don't have to bring that person on. I'm getting a lot of expertise, getting a partner that can grow with me. And most of our clients that, that you know, whether it be you know, our two big ones, First Wash and the Quarters Company, um, when we got connected with them, they were fairly small. I mean, first watch when we connect them, they had a couple hundred units. I mean, that, that's not huge in, in today's realm. And we've grown with them um, and, and um, become an important cog of their operations and their construction team and everything else. So our niche is that that person that, you know, may be at um, 10 units and they're going to add four or five stores in a given year. Um, and we want to work with them. I, I get more I guess, value out of working with those people and really trying to figure some of this stuff out for scalability and growth um, versus just being a rubber stamp and do it. Uh, obviously, we, we, we want to get to that point because it makes our lives a little bit easier. Um, but, but I think that is our niche is working with the, the smaller up and coming chain and working through some of those problems and taking that responsibility off their shoulders because they've got way too many hats that they're wearing, right? Um, you're, you're not only overseeing construction, you're, you're opening a store, staffing it, you're, you're working through with your broadliner, you're developing menus sometimes, all these things like, God, if I can just take the, the front of the house FFD and give it to Leap and they'll execute it. Um, and if there are any issues, they got to solve it. it. It just takes something off of their plate, which I think is pretty big. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, as it relates uh, to First Watch, uh, I remember that it's probably been, I don't know, maybe five or six years when they started kind of undergoing their brand transformation, their brand reimaging. I mean, they were a, uh, at least from my, from my point of view as a consumer, they were kind of tired. You know, it felt kind of old. It, it wasn't very hip or cool. And all of a sudden I went into a restaurant here in Kansas City. I was in town from Austin and I went into a uh, restaurant in Prairie Village, I think, that was kind of in transition. So they had some of the new design elements, not all of it. And then I started visiting these other restaurants around the country. And I'm like, okay, this is super cool. So the one closest to my house, Independence, um, who I happen to know the GM there, I met him in an event a few weeks ago or a few months ago now. It, it just, it, you just walk in and it just feels very different. Still first watch, still great food. But it's very much kind of that farmhouse industrial feel that just looks great, feels really on trend. So, uh, and I know that from a design standpoint, you know, you didn't necessarily probably have a lot to do with the design standpoint of that, but certainly everything fits the way it should. And I just think it looks great. So, yeah, it's a great concept. It's a great team. Um, they're very entrepreneurial. They, they just fit, you know, it's just sometimes you get a good culture fit. Um, we both kind of think alike. We know that mistakes happen on both sides and sure. we roll with the punches and try to fix them. Um, they were a prime example. I'm pretty proud of our team. And, and I think they would think the same for, for us when they hit COVID and they had at the time, maybe I'm making up another, it was 450 restaurants across the country. 
and uh, we had pretty much supplied pretty boost for for all these spaces right and like crap we need dividers just like everybody else was in a pinch we need them fast um guess who had all the floor plans of every single location across the country we did and they said holy crap thank god you guys saved all this stuff right so we were able to go back within about two weeks and figure out every configuration the size of all dividers then put a plan in place get it into production while we were having our own COVID issues at the plant, right? I always tell people, a lot of people don't think that we're, we're, we're immune to this. I and mean, we've got the same challenges. Uh, people are calling in sick. We're, we're working at half the stat. We got all that out within about 30 days to every single location. And I, I, I tell you what, it was amazing. Um, but we wouldn't have been able to do that if we weren't a true partner right. and they were trying to, you know, farm it out to five different companies and do all that stuff. We were able to execute it, hit the ground running and get it out to the stores and then so they could actually create revenue. There's an important piece of the puzzle. That's incredible. So, and I know we'll dive into this more with Chris next week, but, but kind of tell us about the pivot from the FF and E side to the recruiting sites. I feel like that's so interesting how, mm-hmm. how that happened. It was a complete mistake. Uh, they, uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I was a naive, stupid entrepreneur is what happened, but they, uh, gosh, this, so we went through the financial crisis, right? No way. And then, um, we, we started really working on building up the FF&E business. Well, in 2012, 13, it starts slowing down again. Um, and I actually, um, scaled the business down considerably down to myself. This tells you how bad it kind of was, um, start working out of my home, still executing some projects for some clients. Um, I woke up one day, I I was miserable working out of my home. I just didn't like it. You know, some people are built to do that. Others are, are, are kind of like me. I need to go to a place. I need separation of space. Um, I'm way more productive, and um, just how I'm wired. And so I looked at my wife and said, I need to go get an office. She goes, an office? What are you doing? Um, like, one, I'm miserable doing this, but I have a vision of this company that, that I'm really disciplined in myself that we're where we're at. And I've got to build this thing back up. And I remember that I still have it in, in my cabinet here in the office. I wrote down, you know, it's kind of funny. You, you just, you read a lot of success books and different things for personal development. And I took a lot of that to heart. And so I got to write down these goals. I had two girls that at the time were 12 and 13, but shit, they're going to need cars. We have college, all these different things. I've got to put a a path in place that, that not only um, would be go back to this freedom element that I I told you about, that was a big deal to me, but I, I had to be somebody that, that would provide these things. So that was my next motivation. So, um, at that time, I, I had to create a different revenue source because the FF&E was all about Pat. And I knew what I knew about recruiting is the business model is really lucrative. There is no cost of goods sold. It's all about your time. Um, I'm a pretty good connector of people. I love doing business development. I love helping people. It just kind of checked all the boxes. And I got a call from a, a recruiter of recruiters, believe it or not, and said, I got a hold of your resume, Pat, because at the time, guys, I thought about just shutting down the company. I'm going to go work for somebody else. But I just felt like I couldn't go back to working for somebody else. And I, I would do it if financially I had to do it. But um, sometimes it's it's like there's a bigger purpose. And I think things kind of take you 
places intentionally that you don't really realize. Um, so this guy calls me and it's a franchise called Global Recruiters Network. Uh, my wife and I went up to Chicago, evaluated the franchise, and um, we took what was my 401k from the previous company invested in a franchise. So now I've got an existing FF&E business that I'm trying to handle. And we talked a little bit earlier about pivoting, but but maintaining current businesses while you're trying to grow another business, right? So, um, but it was all pat at the time. So I've got a little, a couple FF&E projects. And then now I'm, I'm getting the phone. I'm calling guys like Miles at the time. And, <laughs> the clients getting job orders and having some success because I knew people in the industry. Um, and then the FF&E thing just blew up on me. I mean, I was getting calls from, you know, it's funny, you think you're going to, you know, you, you're going to get clients just right out of the gate. Well, this thing took three or four years to develop relationships and get some foundation going. All that work, three or four years, just kind of went boom all at once while I made the decision to buy a franchise and, and be in recruiting. <laughs> so, um, so I, I then said, oh, I got to find somebody else to, to help. I, I still love the business model. I, I really, we're, we're what Leap is on FF&E is very similar to recruiting. We're, we're business development guys, but but we're project managers. So in some cases in the FF&E, we're managing the construction project of the millwork, the booths, the tables, and, and managing that whole process. Well, on the recruiting side, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're managing, um, you know, the the execution of bringing somebody in that can add value to company. We're bringing potential candidates in. We're following that process. So we not only do we have to sell, but we've got to manage that process. And, and so getting somebody with that same mindset was critical. And this, this kid, Chris Wonder, <laughs> applies to an Indeed ad. I mean, I swear to God, this is what happens. And um, I, I, I don't think he'll, he'll um, not like me telling the story, so I'll, I'll tell it. He <laughs> comes into my office with interview with so much energy and I needed a young kind of whippersnapper, right? And I, I, I was like, this is the guy. I like it. So I make him an offer way lower than what he was expecting. Um, and he said, no, I got to make X. And I'm actually building a new house. Um, and I need you to actually sign on the papers. I'm going to make more. Otherwise, I'm not going to get the loan in the house. I freaking do it. I mean, I, I, can't, I still can't believe I did it. I signed off that he was making more money than he really was um and uh the rest is kind of history he comes and joins me i know he tells a story they said within three months he was ready to quit uh but he believed in me and, and i believed in him but but the, the kind of the same thing holds true for chris he was committed i mean that what's what you know anytime that you get into this you got to show up every day right and you're gonna have tough times you're gonna have brick walls you're gonna have all these things and you're gonna have all these things happen that say gosh i quit and the people that end up really uh, succeeding in the ones that go through that brick wall and take the hard times and just say, today does not define me. This month doesn't define me. This year doesn't define me. I mean, I've realized I've had some hard years and then all of a sudden it bounces back. It's just about staying there and showing up every day. That's a lot of it. And Chris believed in that. And so we sat down and made a strategy and said, dude, the way this is going to work for us is we have to develop relationships in private equity. Um, if you just want to be a GM recruiter, we could do that. It's fairly low end. There's a lot of people in that space. Um, I see us as, as being a, a quality brand um, and having that connection to private equity will filter down and help our other business. 
And we're going to be placing CEOs, CFOs, some high-level people that they'll then need to place other people. Um, it just all starts working. Let's go top-down versus bottom-up. And so it took Chris grinded big time. And he started adding value to the private equity guy. So it wasn't just about, hey, do you have any jobs? It's, I know some people that are looking to sell some franchises. Are you interested? Well, I'd be interested in that. Or franchisors looking or a private equity guy saying, hey, we're trying to offload this. So we'd start making these connections with private equity, become a subject matter expert in that, that space and became a go-to resource. And then you make a connection and say, hey, by the way, we do need to hire some people. Um, and he'd throw Chris a bone and he just built it that way long-term. Now on, on that side, we don't have to do a whole heck of a lot of business development. The business just kind of comes at us based on the relationships that Chris has built on private equity. And then they got us into what we call kind of multi-state uh, businesses, franchises that are outside of the hospitality um, from landscaping businesses to massage businesses to um, we're in cannabis, we're in some technology um, wherever the private equity firm goes, uh, we try to support them in, in their venture. Um, but, but, and so we, we built that business, um, together. And then recently last year, we made a strategic decision to get out of the franchise agreement that originally, um, uh, signed on, on the dotted line for seven years ago. And so we were our own brand. They didn't add a whole lot of value for us. Um, we had, uh, bigger plans for ourselves. Um, and so we were able to, the, the kudos to them. They, they let us out of our agreement with, with a cost, of course. Sure. Um, and that's really where we said, okay, now it's ours. And, um, we create a lot of foundation this past year, added staff, um, to help support Chris with growth and, and, um, we're starting to, to create a licensing program, an affiliate program to, to bring others under the fold. And, and kind of the difference we feel like is we're, we're trying to bring people that, that also have that same quality mindset, but, but also we're going to be able to supply people with opportunities out of the gate to make you successful, real jobs that you can work on and create real revenue, where most franchises in our space They'll take your franchise fee, they'll give you the system and then go for it. It's up to you and you got to grind. It's like, what did I pay for? I mean, I'm doing all the work myself, right? Right. So we're, we're trying to flip down its head a little bit and um, bring some of our job opportunities. So you can, you, you got to develop your own relationships. That's key. But we want to support you with not only our big resume data bank, which, which has become huge, um, but, but also with real job opportunities so you can kind of hit the ground running way faster than, than you would have um, if you were going to sign up with, you know, some of these other lower end recruiting firms. Yep. Wow. Man, that's impressive. Um, you know, Miles, I'm sure you have some questions. I got a ton in my head, but, but, I, but I'm gonna let you go. So Miles, what do you think? Yeah. You know, you know it sounds like a couple of times you, you, you know, kind of hit these moments where it's like, um, you know, it, it's all inner strength to show up the next day, like you talk about, you know, and, and uh, we, uh, we've got people on here that, that are business owners that listen, that are, you know, multi-unit people that, that run single units that, that I think feel like that, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's just the job or, or their business. And I always find it interesting talking to entrepreneurs that go through those tough times that look themselves in the mirror you know, whether it be for a week or a month or like you said, a tough year 
and keep going. And I think, I feel like there's a lot of looking back moments when you, when it's like, this is kind of the moment where, where maybe it turned or where I had to have this conversation with myself. And it sounds like you've got a couple of those and I'm just, I'm really interested in, in those stories and, and kind of how, how you stuck through it and, and why you stuck through it and, and some of that stuff. You know, it, again, freedom is a big piece. I wanted to continue to have my personal freedom. Um, I, I, I think not settling for the status quo is huge. Um, and just because your business model is what it is today, you, you need to evolve as a, as a person, as a company and understand that where I think some people kind of dig their, their heels in the sand. No, this is who I am. This is who our company is. We're not going to evolve and change. Um, throw that out the window. And, and, um, and, and I think ego sometimes gets in the way too, Miles, that um, this is my company is the way we're going to do it. And, and I always say, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world at all. And I'll, I'll, I'll take some advice. And, and I also never, um, I think some of my success was I'd always take a meeting. I never knew where a meeting would, would take me. Um, and I, I, a lot of our opportunities that, that we've um, been fortunate enough to have, I can connect the dots. Probably it's what the whole Kevin Bacon game, right? I could tell you exactly how I got there. And it was because six degrees separation from past six degrees. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it is. And it's, it's, it's okay. Well, that was, uh, it may have been a waste of my time, but one, I may have formed a pretty good relationship and bond. And then I got our story out. I understood them and, and maybe I could help them out um, and make a connection. And that, that then turned into another connection. Um, that got us to, to there. I, I can trace that every single time, right? Now, we I've made some boneheaded decisions too uh, through the process that I've learned from. So something that we haven't talked about is I was a restaurateur for a while. Um, I at one point said, we're going to be a restaurant management company and we're going to own a whole bunch of units and do different brands and stuff. So I got involved in and did the old uh, use other people's money, the you know process, and brought some investors in. And we had a restaurant in Omaha. We had one in Manhattan, Kansas. I I had a, a a restaurant in downtown Kansas City that we were very fortunate enough to sell in the middle of the pandemic. Um, that that was like a noose around my neck. We made no money at it. We had one of our partners passed away two years prior. I had a. I mean, it was a complete disaster mess. Um, and, and so I've tried different things. You can't be afraid to try and fail forward. And I learned a lot from it. And what I did learn is a, I don't want to be a restaurateur. Um, well, you learned, know, there's a saying in our business that a way to have a small fortune in the restaurant business to start with a large fortune, large fortune. So, totally. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it gives me a lot of respect and, and understanding that I, man, to be an independent restaurateur right now. It's really hard. It was hard four or five years ago. Right now, it is really, really hard to be on your own. And you got to work it every day and you got to be in there every day. Um, and, and I got a real good sense of that. Um, being the managing member of this one that, that was in downtown Kansas City, it all fell on my shoulders. We had some private um, investment, but at that point, I did make sure cash flowed and having the stress that I hope our sales are big enough this this weekend that we can cover payroll. And I had no idea. I just did it because the way I'm wired is I owned up to it. I sold them on the idea. I'm responsible. And I think going back to, you have to take accountability for whatever you do, whether it works or not. Um, and, and when you do that, I think you, you, 
push yourself through that brick wall. A lot of people just say, well, it didn't work. I'm out. Well, you need to you know, own up to it. You're responsible and take the lumps, right? And, and take the good with the bad sometimes. I, th I think it's real important just from a character standpoint and who you are. Um, but man, those were stressful times. I mean, we, I actually, we then created an event space in this restaurant because I was trying to create more revenue that just created more freaking problems. Right. Right. And more expense, yeah. more expense. We're getting leads and who's going to manage the leads. Well, Pat did. So because our, our team couldn't execute it. Um, they were trying to manage a restaurant and it's a sales job. So literally I'm a manager recruiting company. I'm managing FFE company. And I had some brides and their moms in here trying to book an event space. All this was going on for a couple of years. And I find, so COVID was a good thing for Pat because it forced me to sell the restaurant um, our business or FF&E has taken off because people want to buy local. Um, they're scared about going overseas. Um, a lot of our competitors have, have gone out of business because um, they weren't set up correctly to, to get themselves through COVID. Um, and it just brought a lot of clarity to me. And we were able to get shed ourselves with some of these restaurant investments that I got, got involved in. Um, I still love the business. Um, it, it's fun, um, but it, it, it takes somebody with some deep pockets. I mean, that, that's a big piece. You need some deep pockets to really make it work, right? Yeah, I think you've done a, a great job of kind of describing the early challenges and the struggles you went through. And now with what's going on in, in, the, in the world around us and in your business specifically today, what do you think are some of your biggest challenges? Right now, um, it's managing the growth. Um, and for, for me personally, uh, I'm pushing myself to begin to take my hands off the wheel a little bit. And it's a struggle because um, people have bought me, right? In a lot of cases, yeah. I've been the face of it, um, at least on the FF&E side. And, and this would hold true with Chris on the recruiting side. We're both trying to take our hands off the wheel a little bit and train and integrate and build foundations. So that has come with a cost for us, um, basically taking opportunity money out of our pocket to grow the company. And that's that's true dedication, right? We're, we're investing in the future of what we do. We did a huge remodel of our office um, to, to bring um, quality. When people come in, they feel good about where they're working at um, and, and creating a culture. That, that That's our biggest challenge right now where I've got to, accept some mistakes and um, be there and be more of a leader versus a task and doer uh, that, that we're really shifting from a leadership perspective to, to push ourselves in, in that vein where the brand should be running without Pat and, and we're not there yet, right? Or, or Chris on the recruiting side and or we're both trying to make that happen. Um, and, and just like everybody else, man, we're, we're not immune to it. Just find quality people. To, to bring on our team. And so what, what we do is, you know, we, we try to be a little bit more progressive um, in that, you know, we treat you like adults. We, we don't have PTO. This is a lifestyle choice. This is not a job. Um, you know, you need what, you know, what you have to do each day. Again, I, I go back to that whole freedom statement. I think most people want that same freedom. So we're going to give you that freedom. Um, now, if you don't work, there's consequences to that, just like anything else. But if you've got to take your dog to the vet or if you, hey, today, you know, I'm just burnt out today. I'm going to stay home. That's OK, really. Uh, and I think there's a value to that, that people may 
say, well, I'm okay with maybe making a little bit less money to, to have that quality of life, especially people with kids and activities. And, and yeah. this should be a bigger picture thing and it should work well in giving you some of that balance um, from a lifestyle standpoint. So that that's what we're selling to people. Um, it sounds really good. It's been difficult for me to accept in some cases, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Again, I just said, I'm a go to work type of guy and accepting, well, I'm going to work from home today. It still kind of burns me just a little bit, but <laughs> I just does. Yep. had to bite my tongue and let it happen. And if you have good people, it all works itself out and they end up working harder, honestly. Right. Um, they don't want to give up that freedom that they got. Yeah. Hey, Pat. It's yeah, it, 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 sorry, Bobby. It, it's, it's interesting. I, I've got a lot of the same struggles where you want to be this, this organization and have this culture where people want to come and, and they want to give you 15 or 20 extra hours this week. We grew up in a business where we wanted 15 or 20 extra hours every week, you know, and, and that was just the employer always took, took, took. And it's, a, it's, it's much more of a give and take these days. And you, you want to get the extra 15 hours. You've got to be okay with giving back and, and letting them cut a few hours here and there. And, and those are the days that I still, the same way, you know, it's like, no, you know, remember what they did last week or last month and how they got us through in a, in a pinch. And it, it, it takes a shift in, in how you look at the business and, and what you're and doing it, as a leader. It, it, take, it takes a while to get trust on both sides, right? And I think right. if the more upfront you are at the very beginning of the process when you make that hire and you describe this culture, what we're doing, um, it, it may not start that way out of the gate. And sometimes it, it takes you... Um, doing certain some certain things to build trust with me um, and vice versa. Um, yeah. And if you see some of that stuff, right, they earn the trust. And yeah. at that point, now I, you know, there's certain people, I, I really don't care what they do every single day because I know that they're grinding. I know that they need some time off on a middle of the day to go play golf or go to a spa or whatever it may be. But they're also up until midnight working and, and because they that's the time that they can be effective. Uh, but you earn that trust a little bit in, in our case. Um, and to me, it's all about com open communication. And if you are frustrated, talk about that frustration and, and work through it as an adult, right? Versus just having it fester. And that, that, that comes back to that culture piece and make sure that you, you have that open door mentality, which is kind of an old, old cliche, but, but it's true. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're, none of us are bigger than the brand. I always tell everybody that I just happen to be the leader of it, but uh, everybody in our company um, has a huge role, especially as a small company. Um, we need everybody to be rowing. Um, otherwise, um, we're, we're going to sink real quick, right? I mean, it's, it's just not going to work. Yep. Um, so yeah, our role is to guide those people now. And, and really, for, for both Chris and I as the leaders of our divisions in the company, it's more about trying to, to build success for those people than, than our personal success. And I think if if they buy and successful, we'll, we'll see that come back in dividends. Um, but but it's going to take a while for, for the light switch to go off a little bit. And um, I just told you, it, was, it took me three or four years to build the relationships we need to build on the FF&E side. It took Chris three or four years to build the private equity relationship. So it's going to take a lot of patience on our side. And if we see the work being put in and the time and the effort and what they're trying to do, you got to take the small wins every single day. And don't yeah, don't look yeah. at what just didn't happen this year. Man, you are doing everything right. I mean, if I was in that job and I said, if I was doing what you're doing, I would be doing the exact same thing. It'll all work itself out at some point. I mean, it's a percentage game, right? It's going to work out. 
and just and take some of the pressure off of them a little bit um and because we're more salesy organ organize organization so when you feel pressure in sales um things don't work out real well because you yeah. feel like i've got to make it happen i've got you know i've got to get the next deal let's take some of that pressure off it's okay um yeah put put in the work grind through it do the right things but um Again, today doesn't define you. Last month doesn't define you, but just it's doing the same thing, the right thing every single day and it'll work itself out. I like it. You know, Pat, you kind of mentioned this on the FF&E side, but on the recruiting side, as you think about these last few years, we're entering into year three of COVID and, and you know, COVID uh, COVID's just really wearing on everyone. You know, COVID fatigue is real. Yeah. Does it surprise you at all that, from a recruiting standpoint, things seem to be hotter than ever. Like things seem to be continuing to move forward. You still have organizations that are trying to find great people at every level. Uh, you know, I mean, I've talked to Chris about this a lot. I mean, things continue to be rolling, you know, you're adding staff. I mean, does that surprise you in the middle of a pandemic? And then what do you think is going to happen over the next 18 to 24 months? Um, it did at the beginning of the pandemic, it surprised the hell out of me because we were braced for, oh boy, we're, we're going to kind of have to hunker down here. Yep. And we actually, this is kind of the way I, I, my mind's wired, um, uh, just, just like you buy stocks when things are down, right. Not, not when they're at their peak. And my theory was we're going to have a lot of other recruiting firms, um think well we're gonna kind of take a break for six or eight months and and then we'll start rebuilding it back from there we actually went and hired people we cultivated the relationships uh, we made sure that we were there right and so we did a lot of work that never materialized but we were there having conversations continuing again looking at the big picture not about the six months and we had no idea where this thing was going to go sure. but we felt like it was an opportunity to steal market share long term um, and so we went through the same process, got our PPP money that helped out a lot for us. We went through the IDL process, um, and, and received some, some nice loans from the government that are 30 years over, you know, 3%, which helped us then invest in our company, which is what the money was meant for. Um, so we took advantage of some of that stuff and sure. reinvested in the company. Um, but, but just like anything else, people finding good people is still an issue for everybody. Right. So, um, on the recruiting side, it's been a perfect storm, which I never would have really thought about, but, um, you know, it's, it's the old adage of supply and demand supply is low demand is high. There's a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines right now. Um, private equity is starved for good investments that generates cash flow. Um, and so that they're wanting to keep pushing forward. Um, and in doing that, you need good people to execute it. Sure. Right. So us being on that high end and realizing how much money is sitting on the side and still waiting for these investments, um, and seeing the, the M and a activity that we still see that that's going on and the consolidation, um, tells you that, um, and their bet is that, you know, just kind of like the roaring 20s, this thing is, is going to evolve. And um, we've seen it a little bit. People want to get out there. They're tired of yeah. being in the homes. And what, what we've seen, um, especially in the F&B industry, the big evolution I've seen, um, obviously, you, you talk about automation, kiosking, right. um, things that you can take 
take the human element out of the store, I think is a big piece. And, and all operators need to look at that. I, I think the full automation behind, behind the scenes in the back of the house may be a little overkill. I think that's going to be difficult. I don't think we're there yet where somebody could afford to do that. Uh, but you can bring the automation to the front of the house. I mean, we see it in, in a lot of these fast casuals and, and fast food. You, you got to do that. I mean, that's a brainer in my mind. Um, and the app ordering, I, I do it personally. I mean, lunch, uh, I go to a couple concepts around me all the time. They have good salads and I'm all about time. So if I can order my app and just go pick it up and walk out the door, you got to have that integration in, in your concept itself. I, that, that, that's a huge piece. This whole dwell factor um, on the large scale and, and opening concepts where people hang out there for a longer period of times, I think is a big piece, especially for the younger generation. They just don't, don't go eat. Yeah. Fast food and fast casuals there for that. They can, you know, whether it be Chipotle or some others, they can quick and get it and get out, but they're not looking to just dine somewhere at a, at a casual dining. That's why we've seen casual dining kind of retreat back a little bit. They want to go and do other things, whether it be the putting concepts that are coming out or the, the pickleball concepts right. or you know, top golf. And there's experiential stuff that happens over time and they want the dwell factor. They want to keep people two or three hours and their spend goes up. Right. And alcohol, consumption goes up with a lot of those things, which is higher margin. Yep. That's where this thing is going. So the integration of entertainment and food and beverage continues to really be a huge push. Um, and developers are willing to partner in that. That's the other piece. I mean, they're looking at what can I bring in my development that will bring people and so a lot of these concepts are partnering with the developer. So they're not taking all the risk and the developer, whether I think even before the pandemic, you started to see movie theaters integrate and they were adding some of the stuff on top of it, where it was a main event combined with the movie theater and all that was kind of intentional and the beyond the scenes, the developers paying for some of that stuff because they need those concepts in the development to draw more people for the other uh, tenants within the space. Um, I think you're going to see that continue in a big way. Um, and we've already seen, I think, with the second iteration of COVID, in my opinion, the acceptance of, okay, now it's more like a bad cold. If you've gotten your shots, if you've gone through that process, it's a five-day deal now. It's not a 10-day deal. We're not <laughs> shutting down the country. I think this thing, it's, it's so that whatever this third iteration is that we don't know about, they may be, eh, okay, it's just part of life. I, I, that's where I see this going and people just accept that masks on planes may never go away, which is totally fine. Um, I think that's, that's okay. But, but I think just people, it becomes normal daily life now and people move forward. I mean, I, I think that's where we're going with it. And that's why people are more bullish about let's start ramping this thing up in my opinion. I certainly agree with that. I mean, you know, as a, a as a small restaurant tour, as a part of a small restaurant company, uh, you know, certainly we have huge aspirations for growth and, you know, what we want to do. And we're talking about what it looks like for, you know, two or three more restaurants in Kansas City and then on to Nashville, uh, which will probably be the next market that we go to. And um, we're trying to take advantage of all the things that you talked about, right? You know, how can we put ourselves in the best possible position? And And, you know, one thing that you mentioned that, and you've kind of weaved this through the conversation today, which I totally agree with. This is all about relationships on, on every side. And, and uh, that's, that's, that's going to be the thing I think that um, is going to help every restaurateur move forward. And, you know, certainly the hardest part for me as a restaurateur over the last couple of years to see all the businesses that have closed 
to see all the people that have gone out of business and, you know, the smaller restaurant chains that weren't able to make it that that weren't properly positioned then to take advantage of some of the technology that was available then, whether it be the third party delivery or online ordering our mobile app. And, you know, I think all those things that you said are, are really key for sure. And also having purpose as a company, I think is a big deal, right? Uh, you can't just, it's just not about opening up units and making money. Uh, the company has to have purpose behind the scenes from, from just a culture standpoint, from the interior and the staff, but exterior from, from a customer, they got to understand what your purpose is and, and how are you different, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that unfork that we talk about a lot is, you know, we're all about local, we're all about local relationships. Uh, we're all about seasonal, uh, you know, we try to stay local in the area for our food and, I think that always has mattered to an extent, but I think, Pat, you're right. I think that that matters even more. I think people, there, there are so many choices for people to spend their dining dollars at, you know, and there's so many things they can do. They want to be a part of something where they believe in the ethos of, of what that company is. So I think that's really important. And it, it's really fascinating to me. You, you talk about relationships and, and as a restaurateur, we all know that that GM, or some key staff at a particular location is gigantic. We've seen where, where different units are excelling and people just think it's the location. Well, it's because Jim is the, the guy that, that everybody goes and sees and they know Jim and Jim takes care of certain things that, that you know, it, it's not on a spreadsheet. You can't see nope. it. And then Jim leaves the company and like, why do all our sales go away? Well, Jim's not there anymore. Right. 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 I think, as a, as a big picture franchisor or somebody at a VP level overseeing that really needs to understand that when you have good people, there's a reason why the, the, that location uh, succeeds because it's the people inside the four walls. I mean, there's no doubt about it in my mind. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Miles, what are your last thoughts here for Pat? You know, having this discussion with you makes me think, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but I, I saw something that, you know, Shaq said in all his wisdom, uh, and, but he was talking with a group of people doing one of his, his speeches and he was talking about your passion. And he's like, you're going to, you're going to run up against hard times. You're going to fail potentially, but if you give up, it's not really your passion. And, you, you know, basically kind of the stick to it. Um, don't give up talk and 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 I get that talking to you you know the run up against hard times and I pivoted and this is what I did and this is how I kept going and um uh you know congratulations on on all you're doing and the things that you're bringing and the support to our industry for me you know just as as we get off here I'm thinking about like what if you had one piece of advice for because we've got people that are listening that want to do want to do that they want to get out of the restaurant industry they want to get out of the sales business and do what they love and, and maybe what's some advice or you know something you have for those people that are thinking about that um so i got the advice um i'm actually working on a on a book believe it or not um about kind of my journey and lessons learned and just something that was always on my radar that I wanted to do to, as a give back to aspiring entrepreneurs. And I go back to when I was looking at buying this company, my, my in-laws are, are entrepreneurs themselves. They, they own a company here in Kansas City. It's like 50 years old or so. And I'm talking about leaving uh, the really nice, cushy corporate life. And I'm talking to them. And yeah, I'm married to their daughter and they're thinking, what, this guy's just <laughs> jumping in a weird company and what is he doing? 
not to hand it to my mother-in-law. She just said, Pat, when you go do this, do not look back because I think people second guess themselves too much. The grass is greener on the other side. Stop thinking that way. You're going to go through the hard times. You've got to grind and do not go back thinking, well, I wish I would have done that. And so the, the constant push forward, push forward, push forward. It's so ingrained in me now, Miles. I I forget about what happened yesterday. And I still, I feel like sometimes I'm like, is there something wrong with my brain? Cause I can't remember certain stuff anymore. Maybe my age too. But, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's age. Brother. But I am so focused on what's going on tomorrow. And I, I just don't think about yesterday that much anymore. Yeah. Uh, my wife says I need to slow down and, and smell the roses a little bit more because I'm always thinking about the next best, best thing. But that advice really, it still rings true to me. And she just looked at me so seriously and just said, if you're going to do it, you're all in and don't look back. Um, and you've got to have that mentality. Um, and uh, it, it's what I would tell everybody. If you do it, jump in and, and don't be afraid to pivot, you know, and just because yeah. you thought it was yeah. today. Change. I mean, we went from selling ice machines and margarita machines to now, you know, we're recruiting and, and selling furniture. Um, right. If I didn't have the ability to change and evolve, I wouldn't be here today. It, yeah. Company wouldn't exist, quite honestly. It would have just failed. And how many big companies have we seen that that, that aren't around anymore because they didn't have the ability to, to change? I mean, Blockbuster would be a great example, yeah. right? They had. Yeah. I think at one point they they could have bought Netflix and they declined and they just said, no, we're going to stick with our business model. Well, that worked out real well for they me. Did. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Pat, that's great advice. Um, thank you so much for the time today. And I would just echo Miles when I say thank you for all you do for the industry. Uh, certainly you have your hands in a lot of different areas and it's making a huge impact. And that's And that's really what we all want is we want to make an impact in the lives of other people and it's been amazing to hear how you've done that from your side of the business and how you support the operations of these companies. And, and it's such an integral part of, of what we do and, and what we need. And sometimes you're the unsung hero in that relationship. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you uh, from all of us and from all of us that are out there listening, because uh, you're doing some really important work. And we're looking uh, really forward to the conversation with Chris next week and diving more into the recruiting side, because that's such that's such an integral part because it is all about people. I mean, 100%, people business. whether it's people working in the plant to build the FF and E that you're shipping out, or, or if it's the people that you're trying to place with some of these other organizations that need, that need people. I mean, that's, that's what this is all about. And really this podcast is all about that. It's all about culture and it's all about being able to celebrate culture that develops leaders. And you are certainly doing that and we appreciate you. So well, appreciate you guys having me. Uh, thanks for, for being integral in the industry itself, putting the podcast together. I, I think it's important to, to meet different people in the industry and, and realize we're all kind of the, you know, we each get up every day, do the same thing and try to work hard and, and make it work and um, appreciate everybody in, in what they do. And, and like you said, containing those relationships and uh Spread the word and, and keep moving forward. A lot of people think it's uh, the hospitality industry is really struggling. I, I say, no, it's not. Uh, watch out because I think it's only going to get better over the next five or six years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Pat. Pat. Thank Thanks, you guys. so much. You bet. Have All right. Have a great day. Yep. You too. Thanks, sir. Yep. Wow. 
we really hope you enjoyed that amazing conversation with Pat Phelan here on the Cutting Onions podcast. Pat did an amazing job talking about culture and relationships and really the art of the pivot is really what this conversation was all about. How in all of our businesses, when we're faced with challenges and how we move forward through those challenges, sometimes that requires us to take a look at what we can do differently and maybe a new space that we need to venture into. So I hope this was inspiring to every entrepreneur out there, every leader, every executive, every mid-management person. This was an incredible conversation and we really enjoyed it. Looking forward next week as well to be talking to Chris Wonder from Leap Hospitality and talking really exclusively around recruiting and what he has been doing with Leap Hospitality to help fill all of the important open positions in the restaurant and the hospitality industry. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week on the Cutting Onions Podcast.